Hey everyone, it's Marielle. And before we get to the show, I want to warn you. What you are about to hear contains explicit language, adult themes, and may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the show. some ambient purrs in the background um hello welcome 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 to the women of death row podcast i'm amanda i'm marielle glad you're here hope you're doing okay yes we're doing things a little differently we're gonna tell one story per episode and then we actually talked about some fun bonus content we're gonna do so yep that'll get come ready out. um i would like to shout out a follower art she underscore thank you for listening she says her favorite her Yay. first favorite episode is lisa and sue are fucking awful and she says which they kind of mm -hmm. are but she's still deciding because she loves all of our episodes so thank you for listening oh, i love it art she thank underscore you. thanks for listening we appreciate you yes love it sorry i'm still drinking my shake from my workout good Ooh. protein so i've been this can be I don't know. We could talk about this now or after. <laughs> I've been having anxiety that my butt's getting smaller. Oh, yeah. Gotta do those squats. I hate that. I don't I know what that. it is, but I've been working out every day. Yeah, I'm just like, mine just keeps drooping further and further down. <laughs> I know. So we'll see. What have you been up to? What did you do today? Today, I did laundry. I took Fozzie Dorothy Chico to the groomers. Still waiting to get a call to pick them up. I cleaned, did some organizing productive mm -hmm. yeah i did homework got that oh, yeah, out you're still in classes mm -hmm. how's that going online like well it's just weird it's like not the same yeah i miss like the lecture because like being able to have like a discussion is such a better way for me to learn yeah than just listening well, i think that's a lot i think that's a lot of what the college experience is is being able to have that type of discourse in the academic setting rather than just producing whatever it is they're assigned you know yeah but yeah not a lot of true crime stuff since you know courts are closed people aren't going out doing crazy well, shit that what was the woman in hawaii's name that was being extradited from hawaii back to utah oh yeah her name tammy something or teresa where her kids are something vero yes Byron, what the hell is her name it's an interesting last name yeah what is the update on that they had arrested her, her and i think her current husband i think true crime headlines had said something recently but mm. at that point there still was no update she still won't say where the kids are okay yeah so Wow. What are you going to tell us about today? Or who? I'm going to tell you about Rosie Alfaro. Have you heard of her? I have, but I That's don't okay. remember. So uh, my sources include ThoughtCo, of course, Wiki, and Murderpedia. So just a warning, this involves child death. Maria del Rocio Alfaro, as she goes by Rosie Alfaro, was the first woman in Orange County to be sentenced to death. She was 20 years old at the time of her sentencing for the brutal murder of nine-year-old Autumn Wallace in Anaheim, California. June 1990, 18-year-old mother of two, Rosie Alfaro, was pregnant with twins. She was living in Anaheim, California with a relative of the father of the twin. The house she was living in was two blocks away from the Wallace home, and at this time, Rosie was also battling a drug addiction. What was she addicted I, to? Like pretty much everything. Oh. 
doesn't go into specifics. Rosie Alfado and April Wallace, Autumn Wallace's older sister, went to high school together. In 1989, Rose and April's relationship grew distant, and one could assume it was because of the drug addiction that Rosie was battling. Rosie lived with the Wallace family during her second pregnancy. All right, so here's where we get to the crime. June 15, 1990, nine-year-old Autumn Wallace was released from school early at 2.35 p.m. and would arrive home alone. April and their mother, Linda Wallace, were at work and would not be home until 5 p.m. That same day, Rosie Alfaro was purchasing cocaine. There you go, cocaine. At 11 a.m. By 2 p.m., Rosie had already run out of money and drugs. So Rosie, huh? Shit, shit. Oh yeah, goes quick. So Rosie was with a friend named Antonio, who was just released from prison the day before on June 14th, 1990. Antonio agreed to share drugs with Rosie if she agreed to share her needle, which that is very common. And that's why needle exchange programs exist. Like, come on, you like harm reduction, would you, you know? So when they ran out of drugs and money, uh, Rosie remembered that she had left a cassette player at the Wallace house where she lived before. And she was like, I have this. I want to pawn it for drug money. So Rosie told Antonio about the cassette player and it was decided that they were going to go to the Wallace home and take the tape player and rob them. So on June 15th, 1990, Rosie, Antonio, an unidentified man, which later we'll talk about that. And Rosie's youngest child went to the Wallace home. She brought her kid. I should tell you a lot about her brain. Her decision making. So Antonio and what they describe as the quote unquote, the baby and the dude waited in the car while Rosie went up to the house. Nine-year-old Autumn Wallace opened the door and let Rosie in because she had known Rosie that she'd lived with her. And Rosie came in asking to use the bathroom. So she trusted her. So while she was in the home, Rosie managed to get a knife from the kitchen and coaxed Autumn into a bathroom in the back of the house. Autumn was stabbed 57 times in the back, chest, and head. Uh, After stabbing Autumn, Rosie uh, robbed the house of anything that she thought was valuable. And the estimated value of the item stolen was $300. April Wallace, Mm. Autumn's older sister, got home around 5.15 and noticed that the house had looked like it had been robbed. So April called out for Autumn, but there wasn't an answer. So she left to a neighbor's house to call their mom, Linda. Linda got home around 540 and was told that they were robbed and Autumn was missing. So that's when Linda went inside and found Autumn. Neighbors reported to the police having seen a brownish color Monte Carlo parked at the Wallace home with two men and a child standing outside of the car. Police were able to get a fingerprint at the scene that matched Rosie. So she was brought into questioning and denied any involvement in the murder. A while after the murder, Rosie asked a friend if she could leave a bag of clothes at that friend's house. And Rosie contacted the friend again and asked her to leave that bag outside of her house because she was leaving for Mexico the next day. So it's like, what was inside that bag? But Rosie never showed up for the bag. So the detectives learned about it and they were able to get the bag from that friend's house where they discovered a pair of Autumn's boots that were reported stolen and a pair of Rosie's shoes. Mm. A warrant for Rosie's arrest was issued and she was brought in again for questioning. In a videotaped confession, Rosie confessed to murdering Autumn alone and then burgled the house. I couldn't really, I didn't really find much about like the actual trial but like was she she was found guilty obviously so during the first penalty phase of the trial childhood friends of rosie testified that rosie had grown up in a violent home and that her father was a drunk who abused her mother they also testified that rosie started using drugs as early as the sixth grade and dropped out of school in the seventh grade at which she began injecting daily as many 50 speed balls which is a mix of heroin and cocaine yeah that's before the age of 13 
I think I'm gonna Jesus. Oh my god. So when you begin using that those types of drugs or any type of substance in your body, like before your brain is developed. Like her brain was damaged before she was even sixteen. So Rosie's mother, Silvia Faron, testified mm-hmm. that her husband was an alcoholic mm-hmm. who often hit her both her and Rosie in front of the other children of the family and threw the family out of the home during drunken rages. Sylvia spoke about her daughter's early drug use and her inability to quit. She said that at the age of fourteen, Rosie was pregnant with her first child. During that same time, Rosie's father abandoned the family. So then Rosie t- took the stand and testified that her unhappy childhood, her violent father, racial prejudice she suffered at school, and about her inability to get off of drugs. Rosie expressed her remorse over the murder of Autumn Wallace, stating that we took an innocent life. We. So, with that reference of we, the court ruled that she had opened Mm -hmm. the door to cross-examination about what actually happened during the burglary and murder, since Rosie had always insisted that she acted alone. During the cross-examination, Rosie testified that that she did murder Autumn, but she did so under the pressure from a second unidentified man that had come with her and Antonio. She referred to the man as Beto, but refused to offer any information as to his identity. Rosie also testified that she was high on drugs and out of her head shortly before going to the Wallace home. So with people who suffer from an addiction, you often hang around people that you probably won't even remember just trying to find the drugs. Like you'll go with whoever to get the drugs. So it's not surprising that. Yeah. You end up with some like seedy crews whenever you're like just going around. I mean, even I remember whenever I was like first like on my own, just buying pot, like you would just end up like in this like shady apartment and then, you know, you have to smoke with them. You don't want to be rude. Like just such a different. (laughs) You have to put yourself lingering, lingering, man. And especially with Rosie, it sounds seems to me like she lived a transient lifestyle too. She was probably meeting whoever. So the fact she doesn't know who Beto is is not completely right. unheard of. So and also adding drugs on top of it. Right. So this time she had said that she did right. not know Autumn would be home and never planned to harm her, which could be possible. Autumn was I don't know. She wasn't supposed to be home early, you know. However, early in the investigation, Rosie yeah. somehow alluded to knowing that Autumn was home. So who really knows? So Rosie said that Beto was also high on drugs, saw that mm. Autumn was in the house, became angry, and put a knife to Rosie's back and threatened to kill her if she didn't kill the child. Autumn. So Rosie said she stabbed Autumn a few times, but claimed Beto must have inflicted mm. the remainder of the stab wounds. Rosie said that once she came down from her high, she could not believe what Autumn was dead. The prosecutor questioned Rosie about information about the identity of Beto that she had told that Rosie had told a mental health expert that examined her at the request of her lawyers. She testified that she initially told the doctor that the unidentified man was her father's friend and that his name was Miguel. Rosie then told the prosecutor that the man's name was Beto and identified him in a photograph and said he had a woman's name tattooed on his neck. During questioning, Rosie and Antonio... I'm sorry. During questioning of Rosie and Antonio, the defense suggested that the real identity of Beto was Robert Frias Gonzalez, whose nickname was Beto. However, in rebuttal, 
The prosecution questioned Robert Gonzalez, who denied having anything to do with the murder of Autumn Wallace and who also did not look at all like the man that Alfaro had identified in that Rosie had identified in the picture as being Beto. But it would make sense that Roberto Beto, that would make sense to me. Uh, so being unable to identify who Beto was, right. the jury at the first penalty phase trial was unable to agree on a sentence and the court was declared a mistrial. So this brings the second penalty phase trial. Ooh, I think Puppy's Playpen's calling me. Hold on. Hello. Hey, it's Laura over at Puppy's Playpen. I just wanted to let you know the kids, kiddos are going to be done in about 30 minutes with their grooms. Okay, perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. We'll see you guys in a bit. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. The kiddos. The kiddos. Ooh. I love it. All right. Sorry. Now, moving on to the second penalty phase trial. This second penalty phase trial was held in April 1992. Also, Mario, I find it interesting that we were both in utero during points in the story. June 1990, me. Mm-hmm. April 1992, you. Anyway, has to do with this. So, most of the same witnesses who testified during the first penalty phase trial testified again, although this time Rosie did not testify. In addition to their original testimony, the defense called an expert criminalist, Mark Taylor, who testified that after examining much of the evidence that shoe prints found inside and outside the house did not match Rosie's shoes. A deputy sheriff at the Orange County Jail testified for the defense about a person he saw who resembled the picture that Rosie had identified as Beto getting into a blue Camaro parked across the street from the main jail. Dr. Consuelo Edwards, who was the mental health expert that Rosie had first told about Beto forcing her to murder Autumn, also testified for the defense. He said that Rosie's intellectual functioning was borderline and that she had an IQ of 78 and learning disabilities that were made worse by her traumatic childhood and drug use. He also described Rosie as a follower who may not lead this type of situation. Or who may not like create, right. you know, follow. It wasn't the mastermind. Yeah. I mean, it's a believable story that someone threatened her and then, you know, maybe she started it and then someone else went ahead and just. I mean, she was 18. Crazy. And I think she was also pregnant with her twins at this time. So she was super vulnerable. Jesus. I mean, look, look, the top. Oh yeah, June God. 1990, she was pregnant with twins, so she was very vulnerable. So, in rebuttal, wow. the prosecutor had several Orange County jail employees testify about Rosie's poor behavior in jail and quoted comments that they had overheard her saying to another inmate. They testified hearing Rosie say, I'm a frustrated person who takes things out on people and have to live with that, and I'm not going to be able to do this again. I'm no actor. I'm going to be cold this time. I just want to get this over with. So what that tells me is she feels powerless. She Mm. never had a good use, never had like any good coping skills or anything to really manage with life. So she takes things out on people. That's really, really common. So Orange Mm. County investigator Robert Harper testified that Robert Fidias Gonzalez, whose defense claimed was Beto and the second man with the Rosie on the day of the murder, had a butterfly tattoo on his neck, not a woman's name. 
which is what Rosie had described. So on, it's a tattoo on the I neck. Mean, I don't know when you're on when you're on drugs. You probably did see a name. Mm-hmm. Who knows? On July fourteenth, nineteen ninety two, the second penalty phase jury sentenced Rosie Alfaro to death. In August two thousand seven, the Supreme Court of California denied Rosie's request for a stay of execution. So. Maria del Rocio Alfaro is the first woman ever sentenced to death in Orange County, and she remains there on this day. Damn. Yeah. Poor baby. Not her autumn. I mean, but I think, and, you know, speaking about the impact of trauma and drugs on the brain and brain development, I mean, she started using drugs at first in sixth grade, had her first kid at 14. And then Autumn's family talks about waiting for this they had they waited and went to every trial hearing to reach some sort of conclusion and i think everyone is grieving the same person you know rosie's grieving for what she did to the family and the family's losing an innocent mm-hmm. innocent child you know i think yeah this is just a very sad story with a lot of loss because rosie didn't get a chance to be a 14 year old kid and autumn will never get to either. So it just kind of, it's kind of like the, you know what I mean? It's very sad. Mm-hmm. So. Mm. Um, have you watched innocence files on Netflix? I've not, but I added it to my list. Who's in it? Yes, it's good. It is so good. I mean, it's, some attorneys and the founders of the Innocence Project and then um, Levon Brooks and mm. Kennedy Brewer. And I think the other guy's name was Kenneth or Kevin Harward. Those are the three cases they've talked about so far of men who were falsely convicted because of it's basically all about debunking like so-called forensic science. Mm. Interesting. Ooh. So it's good. And like when I thought it was over, it was like, nope, on to the next like part of this fucking series. Like it was. I see they're all an hour long. So I like that. Yeah. And there's this one fucking character that you're going to hate. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the statistic still is one in 25 people on death row are innocent. It's a huge number. Yeah. I was, I've been watching Catfish again. Yeah. I started back. I started, I've seen the first season. I remember because I watched the documentary with Neve. You never saw the documentary. Oh my gosh. I never saw the documentary. I mean, I know it was like weird. It was like a lady pretending to be. Yeah. She like fabricated this story about her sister having cancer and, um, you know, her mom's like a, her sister was like a painter and like an eight-year-old kid with cancer who was a good painter and it totally ended up being fabricated and this lady's 45 year old ladies lie and true crime obsessed podcast it's like their second or third episode that's right they do do it i remember Um, listening to that however the one i just watched today is about this young girl who um you know, she's really, really cute and attractive. And, you know, she works it on Instagram. Her dad's not happy with it. So there's just a lot of like that episode 
lot of shaming of this girl for wanting to shake her butt and like put on cute clothes on Instagram. Like, but anyway, but Uh she was talking to this guy who was like in this R and B group in Boca Raton, Florida. And she was in Dallas. Well, it ends up being like, they've talked for like, I want to say like years. They want to talk like years or something, two or three years. But he could never video chat. He's always saying, oh, I'm busy with rehearsals or the internet's shitty or the Wi-Fi's shitty. So they ha- he has a show with his band in, th- in Florida when they're doing the, seer- the show. So they all go down and surprise him at his show. And it's really him. I think I know what you're talking. I think I saw that episode. But not once has he ever questioned. So what, this whole time, why could you not video chat? Or why could you not, you know? Yeah. I'm trying, let me look at what year it was, but Skype has been around for a while and it's pretty, but who knows? They like called his manager and everything and it was really, um, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. I, I think, think it's I on the second season. If I remember correctly, but that's what I've been watching is Catfish. The most recent episode of Catfish I saw was a, and I had missed the previous episodes, but apparently there's just one girl who has like hundreds of catfish pages and she's been like, she's ended up being the oh catfish on two different episodes, two or three different episodes. I can't wait to watch that. This mm-hmm. one I watched is when they went to New Orleans and there was this um, girl who called catfish for her cousin because her cousin had called one of those chat lines. Do you remember one night, one eight hundred? Talk to local guys in your area. We used to oh, call yeah. us. <laughs> um, and that's how they met. And her cousin um, had never heard from him. So they go to wherever this guy lived. Never, He didn't even have a phone number for this person. Um, they got, the guy always called him on private. So he didn't have a phone number. Well, oh my God. They went to go look for this guy. And his cousin looks and says, well, we're not going to find him because I'm the catfish. And they're like in a totally different town. And they're like, what? And she goes, you should have never called me a fat ass Kelly Price. (laughs) You should have never called me a fat Kelly Price. I know. I've seen that. Oh, my God. It was gold. It was gold. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen one that of used the best to the episodes. meme, but I knew it was catfish. So now getting it into context, it was beautiful. Yep. It was beautiful. Yeah. It, yeah, it is one of the, that's classic catfish. Alrighty. I need to go pick up my babies from the groomer. Yes. Go tell them I said hi. Cool. I hope you guys like this new format. I like one per episode because then... It's like a good chunk of time. Yeah, it's an easier for me to edit. There you go. <laughs> well, have a good week. We'll talk to you all next week. Hang in there. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye.